Welcome to AI, Government and the Future, a podcast by Corner Alliance. We explore the intersection of artificial intelligence, government and the future with your host, Alan Pence. We work with government to create results. We ignite your agency's mission by helping you to design and implement high impact and innovative federal programs in AI, broadband, cybersecurity, public safety and more. Being a government ally is at the core of all we do. Introducing your host, Alan Pence. All right. Today on the podcast, we are privileged to have Michael Colain with us. He is a policy advisor with a specialization in emergent digital technologies and a board member at the Robotics and AI Law Society. Michael's expertise bridges the complex worlds of AI, legal policy, and digital transformation. And really crucial to today, he's currently shaping the future of digital policy at the German Federal Parliament, Bundestag. He's an advisor on AI policy and regulation. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Great to have you here. Well, thanks for the invitation. Excellent. So, Michael, why don't you give us, I think it's commonly acknowledged that the EU and other and member states have been a little bit more at the forefront of AI regulation. So why don't you give us a little kind of tour of the history and where we are now on that? Well, yeah, there's been the old saying that the US is good about monetizing technology. China is using it for surveillance purposes and the EU regulates them. As a lawyer myself, I'm in the same history, of course. Um, if you know the law, uh, you will work with the regulation. So in a way, I'm biased in this way, but I think it's an old tradition to regulate technologies inside Germany and also inside the European Union and uh, find a balance between the fundamental rights issues on the one side and innovation on the other. Being from Germany and being a data protection lawyer myself, it all goes back to the 1970s when the German government wanted to make a yeah, count all the people in the, in the country, make a census, we say here. And it went all to the, the Constitutional Court, which then came up with a new fundamental right, which was called informational self-determination, which is more or less the law, a right to privacy in the US or in the view. But so it said, well, you have the right to have control over your personal data, and this is a right that can, you can defend against states, institutions, but you can also use it. Later, it was developed into also a right against um, surveillance by companies, broadly speaking. So data protection law goes back to then, and then it has developed ever since. And so one of the last steps of this idea to regulate digital technologies and how to use personal data and uh, prevent risks is the AI Act, broadly speaking. And can you give us a kind of a sense of where the AI Act is at this point? The AI Act is actually the final stage of negotiations. It was proposed by the European Commission after long discussions in the political and scientific sphere, sphere in the European Union. That's usually the regulation process, the legislative process. The European Commission gives an act. Then the European Council, which is like all member states' governments, they made a position. And then finally, this was just before the summer break, the European Parliament came up with their own position. And then these three institutions go into so-called trilogue negotiations, where the three institutions are part of, and then they come up with the final text, which is then coming into force. As it looks, they want to all finish this uh, this year, the AI Act, the negotiations, the trilogue is going on. The last one was just beginning of this week, where all this high political level they meet, and then there's some technical negotiations along 
side. And since the presidency, the moment this Danish government is the president of the European Council, they want to finish it as fast as possible. Because also next year, there will be elections to the European Parliament. So they want to finish it all in this term. So most likely until the end of the year, even if the next year we have a final text, I'm not sure like 24 months until it's actually coming into force. So member states don't then revisit it. It just goes at the parliamentary level. Well, yes, it's um, it's a direct uh, it's a directive here, so it means it's directly applicable in all member states. So there doesn't need to be any national laws anymore. It just needs to be implementing acts uh, for like some minor issues, for example, who's like the supervisory body in each member state. Gotcha. And can you give us a sort of a sense of the main tenets? I know it's a complicated regulation, but maybe some of the main features that have been highlighted and seen salient in the in the press. Well, there's maybe uh, like looking at the structure of the AI Act, it's a classic piece of product law. Product law meaning we have like many laws about how a car has to look like, how pharmaceuticals uh, have to be, how electronic products have to be. So it's like in this doctrinal way of the law. So it sees AI systems as a product and gives like certain minimum standards that these products have to fulfill. I mean, we know this from vaccines. They have to have some certain approval before. They have to have some certain also chemicals and so on. We know these products. And so they say, and then, so product law and it's a layered approach. So they call it the risk-based approach. So there's uh, different layers of, there's some AI systems which are banned. Then there are some uh, AI systems which are considered high-risk AI. They are quite densely regulated. And then there's all the other AI systems, which only have to have some minimum transparency. So what where we talk mostly about is this high-risk category. So it's in certain areas which are considered from a fundamental rights perspective, especially problematic. Uh, there is some requirements that these systems have to fulfill. And these requirements are, I would say, things that any smart programmer of an AI product should do anyways. So there's some standards on data governance, transparency on humans in the loop, for example, on cybersecurity, robustness, so the list of uh, a few of these requirements. And these requirements are then specified by harmonized standards, so by the standardization organizations. And then they become kind of an indication. So if your product complies with the technical standards, do you have the implication that it's also legally compliant? And these are the rules for the, as I said, only the high-risk products and all the rest has almost no regulation. So let me tell you the version that I've heard and you tell me why it's wrong, because I'm sure it's not 100% accurate. But there's a sense in the US that this is an attempt to allow third parties to determine it's essentially a regulatory regime, which will require a level of scrutiny for each model that then has to be evaluated by some standard or third party, right? And then every time they try to change something, that has to be re-reviewed. Anytime that anyone uses, if they have an API, right? So say you're an open source project and you have an API, if that gets used by an EU company or used some way in the EU, even if not by that third that open source project, they are then liable to be sued by third parties in the EU. A lot of people see it as the end of permissionless innovation in the world, or the EU's attempt to do that, and see it as a huge takeover of the software sector. 
at some point, I don't see the difference between AI and software. Like that's just going to become a meaningless distinction at some point because it's re- all AI is is data with math on top of it. So are we seeing the one efficient sector that we've had where there was permissionless innovation being taken over and turned into the healthcare sector or the food sector, all these sectors that are highly inefficient, highly regulated. So that's sort of the data dump of people from the US are like, oh my God, this is the end of Silicon Valley. This is the end of innovation. The EU is, they haven't had a cloud company and now they're going to try to destroy this. You know. So anyway, that's sort of like the gusher of the US reaction. So how do you, where do you stand? First of all, I mean, I know that the legal system of the US and the European Union are quite different and uh, have a little bit different stance on privacy issues and also on regulation on these things. I don't think this is at all an attempt to hinder innovation. I think it's uh, something to allow trustworthy innovation. I mean, if you look at the car sectors, I can say maybe Germany maybe has produced the best cars in the world and we have very dense regulation for these products and it has not stifled innovation. And also you can sell your Ford in the United, uh, in the EU. Also pharmaceuticals can be sold over here. So first of all, there has been a totally unregulated space for software and IT products, which has led to many, many problems as we see reaching from Edward Snowden's revelation, mass surveillance, also using personal data in against the interest of individuals, also hindrance of innovation. There has been monopolies, there has been all these large tech platforms which have huge control of our lives and a lot of insight. So from my perspective, it sounds like a chemical producer from the US saying, well, now because there's some European standards, I cannot export it anymore. But in these regulated sectors, we have it. And it, yes, it will be a regulated sector. And I'm personally not afraid. I would say let's regulate software or AI. I think let's you know regulate software in a way that is also risk-layered. So let's, for example, the calculator app on my smartphone doesn't need any regulation. But when there is some AI-generated robots taking care of my grandmother at home and feeding her, then I think there should be someone looking over it. And to take the last argument also, there's not a lot of auditing actually in the AI Act. Some consumer representatives have criticized that, but mostly the conformity with the AI Act is a self-assessment of the companies. And if they have made the self-assessment successfully, they can put this CE label on their product. So the third-party assessment is quite small. It's not in many cases. I would have preferred to have more auditing, but at the moment it doesn't look like it. So, uh, you know, there's a lot there, obviously. So one pushback would be, you know, software is a different kind of product than a pharmaceutical or a car that you make one and it changes very little and, and pharmaceuticals shouldn't change very much at all. And software is kind of an evolving thing. And what I would relate it to is some of the criticism of GDPR right? Because we're kind of building on the same framework where does it actually lock in these large players who are able to comply with EU law? So they famously, Sam Altman's over here begging to be regulated so he can lock in OpenAI's advantage. Are you basically playing into, hey, only Microsoft and Google and a couple others are going to have the legal force to withstand the lawsuits coming from all these organizations to actually operate? And if you look at GDPR, there has been some flaws and some good things about it, I would say. like, And I think the AI has learned from the flaws of GDPR. 
We see that at the moment, all companies comply data protection laws. It's not that only, let's say, uh, Microsoft and Google are able to comply with GDPR. Of course, it's easier for them. They have the legal force. But what I mentioned before is these harmonized standards. So part of the legal approach of the AI is that there will be these harmonized standards which can be implemented in products. So this will be ISO, ISO norm or SEN norm. So I think this is something companies can work with at the moment. I mean, if you have a machinery tool or something, you also comply with norms. And it's quite quite normal to that you don't just sit there and make your product and then say, well, now let's put it on the market. I mean, with cars, it's unthinkable that we let cars that I've built myself or somehow put together myself. We have a look, regulatory agencies, and then it's allowed to, to, to the street. So with these harmonized standards, I think it would be much easier to implement these standards into also AI. And of course, you're right. AI is evolving. Software is more evolving than it is a hammer or a, like chemical product. But then we need to, I think, and this is also what the EU is trying to do, approach, like change our regulatory approach. For example, if you look at pharmaceuticals or the vaccines again, the first time BioNTech or like these companies put their vaccine against COVID on the market, it was a really big burden for them and they had to prove it. But now we have like the newer versions of it, which have been adapted, which don't have to go the full range again. So there can be ways to adapt also the regulatory scheme. And I, I worry about that exact thing though, like BioNTech. I mean, I know Moderna, I don't know BioNTech had the vaccine the weekend that COVID was officially announced, right? And it took them, what, a year plus and a half under the most like favorable regulatory regulations under Operation Warp Speed to get it approved. And this is kind of similar. I'm like, wow, we're just going to create all these regulatory barriers and like we're going to be waiting around for these bodies to figure stuff out. And like that pharmaceutical... We could have done challenge trials. We could have done other things to make sure it was safe. But the regulatory apparatus is just so inflexible. So isn't that the exact thing? That's true. And I'm not trying to defend this length of the process. I think it can be much more efficient and much better. But also I'm happy that we didn't have this Sputnik thing from Russia or the Chinese vaccines on the market that tell people, well, you just choose what you think is best. I mean, somehow there is like always this balance that you have to find between safety and uh, some norms. And I think if you really look at the AI Act and you see it, the things that an AI system has to comply with, as I said, data governance, you know, you kind of look at what your training data looks like. You have somehow certify it. You make sure you just don't put every data you have in it, that you have some cybersecurity measures, that you have like a little bit of robustness of the model, that there is a minimum of transparency about the system works. It's like a I think these are not things that will overwhelm small companies and it will only make it possible for the huge companies to comply. And I also, I have to say, I don't buy this, please regulate me by Mark Zuckerberg and Sam Altman. They always say that, but I think they mean the opposite. And the other way you can say, well, the government is doing the job that they don't do because you just don't throw your product on the market once it's a little bit ready and then see how it happens. If you look, let me give another parallel. That is, in fact, how Silicon Valley minimum viable product, right? Yes, and that's, you know, and then say, let's see how it happens. I mean, for pharmaceutical law, if you look at it, until the 70s, there was no pharmaceutical law in the European Union. And we just said, okay, the companies make some testing and then they decide and they take the liability. Then we had like some huge scandals about medication that really went wrong. And then said, well, we somehow have to regulate it. And I would say the products of Silicon Valley have 
also done a lot of harm. Of course, they have also brought many good things, but it's time to, to finally regulate. They're calling for it and we're giving a framework which is not too high, not too hard. And I think it should be also accessible for some startups and medium and small size companies. But this is then about how you regulate. So the other thing I'm concerned about is this sort of general purpose technology with the risk framework. So ChatGPT can be used for all sorts of things, right? I kind of relate it back to like Gmail. Like Gmail, you could use to pass instructions on how to build a bomb, right? In a way that you couldn't have before. But you can also just like send photos that you got that were funny on the internet, right? So what if Gmail was just stuck in this regulatory review? So the innovation, like that really broke open email and the internet. And, you know, that's a big deal to me when that happened, right? So how does this framework deal with that issue that there are all these general technologies, not so categorized like a product that you're regulating like a pharmaceutical? On the one hand side, you could say, well, if it had been regulated email or Gmail in the beginning, maybe it would be end-to-end -end encrypted by now and uh, Google couldn't use the content of my emails to advertise to me. And I think this wouldn't be a bad thing from a privacy perspective. So you get worse advertising? So, I mean, it's just, why is a huge company reading my email, which is private communication, which is like a letter? No, it's just somehow we started with a letter that nobody can look in. It's at least not normally. And then suddenly you know, the huge companies reading the content say, oh, maybe this guy wrote about this, maybe it's advertised to him. So no one's stopping you from sending a letter. Well, yes, yeah, I don't. You sign up. I mean, you get a free product. Yes, I mean, it would be nice to have like a private communication per se. I mean, we have these providers, but no, we're not. And I use that myself. People don't want to pay for it. Yes, I mean, I, I pay for my email and so on. I look at that as an IT security expert. Of course, I care about it, but uh, I mean... But I think the difference between Gmail and uh, generative AI is that it's much less clear how it works to the normal consumer. I mean, email is kind of intuitive. Okay, I send a letter. We had some reference. But I'm every time, I mean, like most people are just astonished about what gets out of that and uh, what it can do. I mean, I looked, we have this uh, generative AI provider here in Germany. The startup is called Aleph Alpha, for example. And it's just recently there was a report if you put in something like what Hitler did was, and then it gives you like great or Muslims, you know, terrible people or something like this. So we have these uh, flaws in it. And in, in my, it's, it's a lack of quality assessment of these products and this kind of product. Well, okay. But let me push back on that, Michael. So yes, that's not great, but I mean, Google can give you that too, right? I mean, that's already happening. So why is AI so much worse? Well, yeah, I think, you know, we should also think about regulating the other parts of digital technology a bit more and giving some rules. I mean, I'm just talking about rules. And if like all codes of conducts had worked, we wouldn't need uh, regulation here. But so for AI, it's a bit different. I think the focus is too much on regulating only AI. As I said before, I, I would be open for putting some basic rules on software. I mean, and we have standards on software, how you do it. And also Gmail follows some standards which have been implemented in the internet, HTML, uh, the internet infrastructure. I mean, this is all somehow agreed on, on certain things. And uh, we need something similar also for using this. I think it's not so densely regulated, as I explained. It's just some quality standards that you have to comply with, like many other products. So do you worry, though, that at some point, you know, this really cuts? Some companies are going to block out the EU. They're going to say, I'm just not going to deal with it. 
or companies are going to create models that go through the EU process, but are probably less capable than the ones they're running in less regulated countries, right? So after the experience of the cloud, where like literally the EU doesn't have a major cloud company that would compete on the national on the international stage, probably only has one major software company, international software company, arguably. Don't you worry that this is really cutting the EU out of that level of innovation that has produced so much wealth in other parts of the world? And some Americans see this as sort of like the revenge, you know, like I'm going to let a bunch of third parties sue these companies like they do under GDPR to extract rents because we can't do it. Well, I mean, the EU is not a small uh, player in the world. First of all, it's the biggest, uh, largest uh, internal market in the world. And I think most of the companies simply won't be able to afford not going to this market. And at the same time, if you have like a really bad car or like the Sputnik vaccine, don't sell it in the European Union. I mean, I personally don't care to have more, to have good products on the market. And my thesis would be that products which build according to the European rules will be very good products like German cars and German machines and so on. These are products which are in the service of the people who use it. So it's non-biased. It's like it's transparent. People understand how it works. There's no hacks uh, likely. So I think this will, on the long run, even improve these products. So I would say, please bring it to the European market, adapt it, and then compete it with your other regions, and you will actually have the best product. And uh, we are already seeing that many countries in the world have adapted GDPR. Even California has been inspired uh, with their privacy act by GDPR. Brazil has now introduced this, working on an AI, which is similar. So I think, of course, now it's a little hindrance because it gives like some cost to the companies to adapt and uh, put their compliance to it. But I think on the long run, it just turns out to be good quality products. And I also don't mind that they just say, well, then we don't sell it in the European Union. In the end, I think they will do it anyways because it's too profitable to not come to the EU. Uh, clearly, if I were startup or open source, I would not do that. I mean, I think that's going to be a clear... The open source thing you mentioned at the beginning, I just want to keep that there is some exemptions uh, for open source. This has been taken in care. This is also really a major part of the negotiations at the moment, that open source components are not compliant to the AI. Only the person who actually puts a commercial product on the market, this is somehow the tendency. So it's just GitHub components. This is not regulated. It's just kind of as I said, it's just the product that you put on the market. So that's the important to know. And for startups, there's a good tool which is called regulatory sandboxing. I think it's an internationally known concept. Uh, and it's also that if you have, you can try your product into these regulatory sandboxes and you're relieved of many of the compliance burdens. It's on the oversight of the supervisory authorities. So there is some exemptions also for startups. And if the EU is smart enough to also invest the money and open up for venture capital and opportunities, then they can directly develop products as startups, a little bit freed from the burden of bureaucracy, helps to implement the technical standards that are necessary. And then this could work out. But you're right, in one point, Europe has not managed to have a good operating system. There's no good smartphone, no cloud provider. Robotics, we're not very good. I mean, for an engineering nation like Germany, and I, from a, like my father is an engineer working for Siemens uh, all his life. This is Really, it's uh, a bit sad, but I think we can turn it around and we have like the chance. But this is in the end also a thing of investing. And the US has been very smart with DARPA and many other like in the end government funded. I mean, let's not forget that Google, Facebook and so on, they have 
uh, largely funded by the government and without the American tax money, they would not be where they are. And copying this and combining it with smart laws, I think this would be good, but it's also a long way. Right. And I'd see the balance differently. I think the funding is great. The regulations, it's a very difficult balance and almost impossible. And it becomes government is subject to rent seeking. And, you know, I see a lot of like the efforts I see here right now, they seem very focused on job protection, kind of misinformation stuff, which is all sort of short term, like, I don't know how big a problem this is, but don't really actually focus on hey, is there an existential threat from AI? We don't even talk about that. None of the regulations really deal with it here. It just seems like a lot of rent-seeking. There's some bans in the European AI, for example, mass uh, biometric identification in public space. It's a big debate if it should be totally banned. I think it would be a good idea to have like these smart camps all over. So this would be an AI system that might be banned. And also the social scoring by governments, which we know from China, would also be banned. So some of them say, well, this is just not allowed. Some are high risk and some are just exempted from risk. We just get the private sector to do it here. They're called credit bureaus, right? Yeah, that's also at the end, you know, well, I mean, the government, at least it's elected. So, you know, with the companies and the CEOs, we have no influence in what they do, to be honest. Well, Michael, thank you. You were a good sport today. Obviously, we do not agree, but I love hearing from the other side and I would love to hear you debate Mark Andreessen. That would be fantastic. He's, I think he's probably the most prominent voice here for no regulation. Yeah, bring him on. I mean, I'm always happy to agree to agree to disagree here. It's fine. I love these debates. It's fine. It's fantastic. Thank you for your time, Michael, and good luck with the EU law. Well, uh, and hopefully, maybe we can check in in a little while and see how things are going. Yeah, let's see how it goes. Awesome. All right, Michael. Thank you. All right. Bye. Government and the Future is brought to you by Corner Alliance. To find out more about Corner Alliance and how we work with government to create results, visit our website at corneralliance.com and then make sure to search for AI Government Future in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Corner Alliance, Thanks for listening.